So uh, before we get started, I just want to also caveat, you know, the A- Asian American experience is so diverse in terms of country, language, culture, uh, immigration patterns that we couldn't possibly cover that, all of that in just one session. So we're going to speak primarily to our own experiences. Um, but it's an important moment. Right now, we just passed the 80th anniversary of the J- executive order for Japanese internment camps. Hate crimes against Asian Americans have risen 339% in the past year. Uh, in tech, we're often, despite our prevalence in the tech industry, we're often seen as, you know, smart, hard workers, but, uh, but I don't know if they're quite the leader I thought they would be. And, uh, and, and in media, TAF recently surveyed thousands of Americans um, to name a famous Asian American. And uh, 42% of Americans couldn't name a single one. And when they, for the ones that were named, number one on the list was Jackie Chan, who's not American, and, uh, and Bruce Lee, who's been dead for 49 years. So it, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit grim out there. Um, and so as tensions rise with China, I think things could get worse before they get better. That's why I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I'm really glad Mark, as soon as I texted him, was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have that conversation here. And so I'm excited to have John uh, director of Crazy Rich Asians in the Heights, soon Wicked, and also newly minted Chief Creative Officer of We, um, and Eugene Wei, uh, early Amazon founding member of uh, Hulu, uh, Flipboard, Oculus, and angel investor and prolific writer. So thank you both for joining. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, John, I'd love to start with you and just talk a little bit about your upbringing and the role that identity played. Your parents uh, had a Chinese restaurant. Um, So talk a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, they still have the Chinese restaurant (laughs) in uh, Los Altos in the Bay Area. So I grew up uh, in the Silicon Valley. Uh, It's still there 52 years later. They came from Taiwan and China, uh, met in the Bay Area at 19. My mom was 19. My dad was like 23. And uh, I'm the youngest of five kids. And so... Uh, food uh, story was all around me. I call I called the restaurant a house of stories. They'd tell stories to the customers. They'd hear stories from uh, some of their investments came from hearing whisperings around the the dinner table. Um, but it was uh, so 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 we were always around that. And and I remember seeing my dad uh, be treated. You know, at, at a restaurant, people think they're your servants or something. So they treat your parents who are very, my, my parents are very strong and you have five kids. So, uh, and, and I remember them being treated poorly by a customer and watching that mm. and being very upset. And my mom and dad sat me down and they said, you know, we started this in 1969 where there weren't Chinese restaurants in the area. We serve as ambassadors to uh, what people think of Chinese people. So when they came, came, come in, we have, they have to leave with their, their, their bellies full and their hearts full mm. so that the next time they see a Chinese family, they'll think differently about maybe when they came into here. And for good or for bad, that's what they needed to, to teach us to survive. That's what they needed for themselves. And for me, that, that was very heavy on our family, that we do represent something different, that we do have a responsibility. Um, you know, I was young, so I didn't fully understand that until I became a filmmaker and making movies um, and seeing what needed to be done um, and the importance of stories to represent uh, cultures and people and understanding. So, uh, but that that definitely was in me the whole time. Yeah, Eugene, you grew up in Chicago, uh, probably a little fewer Asian Americans than uh, in the Bay Area. What was it like, and what role did identity play in your upbringing? Yeah. Um... I am uh, second generation, and so I am part of the uh, 
my parents were part of that huge wave of immigrants that came to the U.S. in the late 60s and 70s after the um, Hart-Celler Immigration Act of 1965, which really fundamentally changed America uh, and its composition. So prior to that, uh, you know, immigrants couldn't come over from a number of countries that were labeled as undesirable. And Hart Seller kind of opened that up. So if you were to look in 1960, what were the immigrants coming to America? It was mostly from Western Europe and Canada. And then after Hart Seller, you had a huge wave from Latin America, from Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, and then uh, Asia. And so my parents went from China to Taiwan, and they came to the U.S. where I was born. Uh, I actually did not, uh, it's true, I did not encounter a lot of Asians in growing up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, it wasn't until I went to college that I even heard the term Asian American, uh, which is a term that was come up with, you know, by political activists in the late 60s in the Bay Area. And so I think for me, uh, it's an ongoing process of figuring out, and I think for the entire community, it's like, oh, what does this term mean? <laughs> because there are so many different uh, groups lumped into that who have all had different experiences. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because all those experiences back in the homeland are so different, but here we're united by this definition that was given to us. Um, John, you talk about that identity and that idea to you know, use food or film as a way to uh, talk about culture. You know, I know uh, Jeremy Lin used to talk about uh, wanting to just be a basketball player, known as a great basketball player instead of an Asian-American basketball player, and kind of wrestling with that idea. Yeah. How has that been for you, you know, wrestling with the tension of being a great filmmaker versus being a great Asian-American filmmaker, and how has that impacted you? I mean, that's like the plight of my life growing <laughs> up. Like, the whole time, you, you, you're, I was usually the only Asian in the group, whether that was my basketball team or at, at animation camp or uh, making my movies. Um, and the whole time, you, the last thing you want to talk about is that you're Asian. Like the last thing you want to do when they make a joke is them look at you and, 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 and expect you to laugh or do whatever. Like it was just, I just wanted to be Steven Spielberg. I wanted to be Tim Burton. I wanted to be Robert yeah. Zemeckis. Um, even when I went to USC, which is right down the street here, like I just wanted to be at USC, I did not want to be categorized. Um, so it took me a while, it yep. took me a while. And when I see other, and it's weird because I think we're in a much, I mean, I've evolved as a human being, I've grown up, but I think also our whole country has changed in a way that when I see other Asians, when I was like in high school that were coming into the group, you know, I give them the look like, don't fuck this up, bro. <laughs> Come on, bro. Like, and then, uh, and now I look back and I'm like, oh my, that's terrible. And now when I see another Asian on set, I'm like, I got you, bro. Like, mm. like hang tight, do your best. Yeah. But I'm gonna, also, I got you. Like, there is a camaraderie here that we're all in this together, yeah. um, that we've all struggled in the same thing. You know, when I used to pull up to studios here when I first got my first movie, they'd be like, oh no, deliveries are in the back. Uh, it was just not a reality that, that directors looked like me. Um, and it was probably the way I dressed, too, because I had, like, my hoodie. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. I, and, I, and I think that now it's hard because I don't want to be a uh, – I don't want to be someone who's just about being Asian. Yeah. I've got a lot of other things to say. Um, and yet, when I made Crazy Rich Asians, it took me 
10 years. I, I was in the business for 10 years before that, doing fine. I was making movies with big stars and big action movies with The Rock and blah, blah, blah. But at a certain point, me as a human being, as an artist, had to be like, oh, I actually don't, the whole time I was sort of living in my parents' philosophy of like, you got to earn your way here. You got to earn yourself here. You don't deserve it. You just got to earn it and show them. At a certain point after 10 years, I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm here. I deserve to, they, they actually are get, getting it off of me. So what do I want to do? And that's when I started looking at the things that scared me. And the thing that scared me the most was, who am I? Mm. My cultural identity crisis. And I found this book, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, that had this delicious surrounding around it. Oh, the fascination with the rich and right. the, this, this, these, oh, these crazy Asian people who are really rich. But that wasn't what attracted me. It was about worth. Mm and self-worth, and that this, this woman, Rachel Chu, going to Asia for the first time, which I recognize as that feeling, finding your worth, worthiness. Mm. Maybe if they don't accept you here, and maybe they don't accept you there, but you can find your own way. And we don't give answers in that movie. And so the fact that, but, she, but this generation will come up with the answers for themselves. So I just loved that, and that was what drove me uh, it drives me to this day, this responsibility. And even with, you know, now as a chief creative officer of We, which is an Asian e-grocery store, you can download the app anytime, hashtag ad. Um, <laughs> download it right now, yeah. Uh, which I've never really had a real job before, so it's kind of crazy. I have like a key card, I sit at a desk, <laughs> and I go into meetings that I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but it's amazing because that to me, everyone's like, when's, when's the Crazy Rich Asian sequel coming? To me, we is the Crazy Rich Asians sequel because everything everyone talked about Crazy Rich Asians was the food and the music and can I hear more? Can I have more? Can I try? And now and I had no ability to give them that. Now with we, I'm able to like, hey, get it delivered at your house. Try this. Try this. I'm, my Filipino friends are sharing, you know, lacto with me or whatever, like all these different things. And I'm like, oh, I got to try this. So to me, bridging these gaps of story and sharing culture in a more physical way is is probably the, an, another step for us, mm. especially as cinema is going through so many changes. It's interesting, though. I, I listened to a podcast. You mentioned one of your early student films had to deal with identity. Yeah. And, and there's a sort of gap in between where, you know, you went on and made big films and then came back to that. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that early experience? Yeah, I hadn't thought about this until the last year or so, but I, right over there at USC, I, uh, I, uh, I saw a movie that uh, a senior did, and it was about dating, and at the end of it, we were freshmen, and so we're watching this. And at the end of that film uh, about dating, they opened all these doors to all these losers that she's dating. And the last door is an Asian dude. He doesn't even say a joke. They just open the door, and then she goes, uh, no. And they close the door. And it was weird for me because I'm from the Bay Area, so it didn't, uh, I just didn't understand why the whole place was laughing. And I had to ask my friend, like, why are they, why are they laughing? And he's like, oh, because it's like, you know, like an Asian dude. She's not going to date him. I'm like... That is what they're laughing. At. It blew my mind. So anyway, I made a short film a few years later. I was gonna, I'm gonna make a short film that goes against all of those things. It was called Guaylo, uh, which is what they called me when I went to uh, to Hong Kong for the first time, which is like White Devil. And um, and I was so self conscious about making it. It was a musical, and I got a huge. Uh, everybody loved it, but I felt so self conscious making it. I wasn't ready to make a movie about my own cultural identity. I just didn't know how to show what, what I went through. People would question, is that real, is that not? It was all real, but I couldn't, and so I never, sh I never shared it. I never sent it to film festivals, and if you know, if you're a student, like you made a film, you, you better get it out there. And then instead I made a totally different musical about 
just mothers in general. And that got me into the business. I got rewarded for that, not doing it about my cultural identity crisis. I got into the business. I started making movies. And I never touched my cultural identity crisis again until 10 years later with wow. Crazy Rich Asians. So I was, it was hard to go back because I, yeah. I know that feeling when you're showing, even with Crazy Rich Asians, the first time I showed it, even to this day, I'm scared when other Asian people watch it because I know it will not satisfy everything, yeah. but I know I had to express something and I know it's not everybody's perspective. But in a way, it's sort of, we just have to do the work. Yeah. Aren't dreams amazing? I got, my parents came over, they didn't know a word of English. They didn't just like make a road for, they paved a giant freeway for me to get to LA to be in the most American business in the world, Hollywood. That's, that we can change so much. Asians weren't known for dancing until ABDC. Yeah. Like that wasn't like a thing that Asians did. And then all of a sudden, America's Best Dance Crew has Jabberwockies and Kabamar and all of a sudden, oh yeah, Asians dance. Like we can change things so quickly. And that's what amazes me about our business. And, and as I get older, one movie, Crazy Rich Asians, can make 10 stars, Aquafina, Henry Golding, who wasn't even an actor, and Constance, and Gemma Chan, and Ronnie Chang, and Jimmy O. Yang. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And so that's what keeps me going. It's like, my, actually, my parents were both wrong and right. Yeah. You don't have to prove yourself to deserve to be here and be treated properly. But at the same time, we have to put ourselves forward to show people who we are. Amen. Eugene, uh, on the tech side, so, you know, people follow you on Twitter and they're like, oh man, Bill Gurley's like gushing about your writing. Things probably go pretty smooth for you. Can you talk a little bit about your journey uh, through the tech industry and, you know, perhaps how your identity played a role or impacted that positively or negatively? Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting because I, you know, the internet, I'm, I'm a Gen X baby, so the internet kind of came about when I was coming out of school. It wasn't like a thing that I thought I would end up working in. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, the, I guess, the stereotype of second generation Chinese Americans, uh, of which I was a part was, you know, go to med school, go to Harvard. I don't know, there was like a prescribed sort of like path that our parents wanted for us. Uh, but my parents, uh, you know, once they sent me off to school, they kind of loosened the reins a little. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go work for this company called Amazon. They're like, I think they sell, no one had heard of it. And they're like, sell books online. They thought I was crazy. But, you know, I just kind of wanted to follow that wave where it was going because I was just spending all my time browsing the web. I was like, this is amazing. This is going to be something, I think. Um, and so... I don't know, like I never thought about it uh, when I got into it as, oh, I'm an Asian American within <laughs> this industry because the whole industry felt new to me. But certainly in a business context, uh, you know, you always look for role models, you look up ahead of you in companies. I was like, oh, okay, there, there are fewer East Asians. And so there's a sense in which you are, you know, it's the same with the second generation Asian American experience in general you're never sure what you're reclaiming because it doesn't seem like to be something that you're claiming. So, you know, for me as a second generation Asian American, there's a way you're, you're reclaiming your homeland culture, but you didn't grow up there. You grew up in America. Uh, I'm, I always say I'm like Chinese hardware running sort of like a hybrid American Chinese operating system. Uh, it's very, <laughs> sometimes it, it's hard. You, you really don't know. And I think the Asian American community in general is, is always trying to figure out what that terms means because uh, 
in a way, you know, you look at Japanese, Korean, Filipinos, Vietnamese, like, like they're all very distinct cultures in some ways, but uh, society tends to lump us under the term Asian, so our commonality tends to be how other people see us. Um, I think in a corporate environment, I am conscious of, I think, one thing, which is, um, you know, something we had talked about about leadership, that there is a model of corporate leadership in tech, but in the business world at large in general, which really comes out of the post-World War II era in America, when you had a lot of people from the military come back to America and join the uh, executive ranks at companies. And so our model of leadership is a lot driven by, you know, this image of MacArthur or generals, this sort of like uh, really charismatic uh, and aggressive style of leadership. And I think in tech, we have our own sort of archetype of that, which is the sort of misunderstood genius, the kind of like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk type of model, which is like the more romantic, heroic model of that. Uh, but our economy is a lot, especially in America, moved from an industrial economy to more of a service, knowledge, information style economy. And it's not clear to me that that leadership style is the always ideal. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think, you know, that, that's been something I, I grapple with is like, oh, okay, like, is my style of leadership fit with the model of what the industry selects for? Yeah. No, I often wonder, you know, Jack Ma, founder of Alibaba, like, if he had immigrated earlier here, would he just be a middle manager at a, at a fan company instead of given the opportunity to produce one of the, this generation's great commerce businesses? Uh, so I think that's really interesting. Um, moving to you know, the rise in hate against Asian Americans. Uh, you know, 40-year-old Michelle Go, just this year, Michelle Goh shoved her death uh, in New York City off a subway uh, platform. 35-year-old Christina Yuna Lee was stabbed 40 times in her apartment. Um, just, I saw just yesterday, Gui Ying Ma uh, was 61-year-old grandma who had a rock beaten, beat half her skull, and she just passed yesterday. And also yesterday, a 34-year-old Asian man was uh, cut uh, on the cheek twice in, in uh, Queens, I think. And we're just two weeks away from the anniversary of the Atlanta shootings. What's going on, man? <laughs> Why do you guys think this hate uh, is on the rise? I, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I feel like there's a narrative that has uh, always persisted as uh, Asians being from somewhere else or being the invaders, I mean, from, from history. And... We've never really fully confronted it. I mean, as little as jokes with my friends, some of my closest friends making jokes, even during the pandemic, a high school friend that, I was very, that I'm very close to sent a, a, an audio joke of a guy coughing until he had an Asian accent. Mm. And some of the hardest conversations I've had to have was not like coming here and saying how to stop Asian hate. The hardest ones are like talking to my closest friends and be like, because when all this stuff was happening, all this Asian hate um, sort of news was happening, at least, he was like, hey, where should I donate? What can I do? And I was like, let's sit down for a second. I love you. I know you're not racist. But the jokes and the things that I used to laugh at, like, it's just not cool. This is, this is the reason why. It's built up over these years of continuing to push it that way. And, uh, and he took that. And I don't know if it changed him completely. Uh, and maybe anyone else, he would have like, oh, you're so sensitive, blah, 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 it's such a joke. But we had that, got to have that real conversation. 
I think it's really on the ground for us. Yeah. I think it goes so elemental of what we see as Asians. And also, we were also taught, being born here, I was taught Asians are Asians. Mm. Um, even though I'm from a Chinese family, even though I understand the difference with Japanese, but we were grouped together, so I, I accepted that group together. Only till I'm getting older where I meet so many more that were my generation that, that have the dual identity that we get to really understand, oh, there's a lot of differences in here. So how do you stop Asian? I don't, I don't know. I think we can do a lot of, everyone has their own roles. Some people, their job is to yell and scream on, on, on Twitter. And my job isn't necessarily that necessary, but I'm in a position to make stories that maybe add a new dimension to what Asian is to Americans and to the world. That's the best I can do. Of course, we can speak up and amplify. Um, and, and also with we, to share you know, foods and share things, you know, make us understand each other more. So I, I, there's, you can either get on board with a, um, have empathy through going through trauma together and showing them the trauma you go through, or the flip side of that is having the best party, all night party of the night, and the next day you're like bonded forever. And I feel like my stories are on that side. Yeah. Like, let's celebrate ourselves and who we are so that others want to like celebrate with us and you go through the best let's go through joy it doesn't mean the other's not right but it just means we have different uh ways to accomplish the same thing so i think everyone will have to find it themselves that's the the hard part of it all yeah but media is such a powerful tool i know i remember listening to uh Chef Dave Chang's podcast and him and Pablo Torre, an ESPN reporter, were just talking about changing diapers for their kids. And I was running and listening to this podcast and all of a sudden I was like, got, kind of got choked up. I was like, I think this is the first time I've heard two Asian dads talk about just being dads and changing mm. diapers. Mm. And, and it, for me, just hit on such a personal level. I think number one is like, yeah, talking about everything, yeah. bringing it up. The number one thing in, the, in Crazy Rich Asians, well, not number one, but, but always brings up to me is when they're just driving in a car, no dialogue, the four friends hanging out at night. They're like, people are saying, I've never seen four Asian friends hang out at night in a movie before. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Eugene, uh, you and I were talking, you know, sometimes it feels like the, res- sometimes it feels like we're re- uh, we have to fight every civil rights battle one race at a time. And, you know, you and I were talking a lot of times, some people, you know, even our friends are like, hey, man, is this Asian hate? Like, is it really happening or is it just coincidence? Each one of these things, you know, when when the police chief or the Atlanta shootings are like, wait, let's not call it a hate crime. Let's make sure, you know, before we call it a hate crime. I I mean, why do you think that is that, that, you know, oftentimes the things that are happening within the Asian American community might be discounted? and, And what can we do about it? Solve it today, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's such a hard problem to... Because, you know, in many cases, a lot of the attacks that have happened over the past two years, especially, um, we're finally getting documentation on video, which, you know, has cha- it's not just for Asians. It's for all sorts of crimes has really changed the dynamic, just the smartphone. And, you know, now you've given it some physical form that seems difficult to deny. On the other hand, unless someone is shouting racial slurs or, you know, saying something, it is always a little bit of a mystery, you know. Were they just attacked randomly? What, you know, what caused it? Um, in a lot of these cases, it's... Uh, I don't know that we'll ever get deep certainty. Um, I think this feeds into one thing that Asian Americans have always struggled with, which is a sense that in the sort of, like, more binary uh, race dynamic of America that Asians don't fit anywhere or they're kind of invisible or, you know... 
these things may happen, but how dramatic are they? That is difficult. And so as a, at a first level, I think just, um, it's just the sense of recognition or, you know, like if you have people who are Asian in your life and things like this happen is, is, uh, everybody seeks kind of, you know, what Hegel talked about is mutual recognition, just like our lived human experience, um, that we exist. And, and then that's real. Um, a more practical thing around this, which I took a training class on bystander training after there was the rise of attacks of elderly Asian people. I was just like, oh, I was worried about my parents, and I thought it was going to be one of these boring mandatory training things, and I actually found it somewhat useful um, because you never know. Like, if an attack happens near you, <laughs> uh, most people get paralyzed. Uh, you don't know what to do. It's not a situation that we're just, like, instinctually... Um, meant to react to. And so most people just stand by and, you know, things happen. So as a practical measure, I, I find that useful. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you feeling optimistic about? You know, it's uh, what's amazing about America and especially in the age of the internet is that the cycle time on culture uh, moves faster than I could ever imagine. So, you know, people like John... Um, putting representations of Asians into culture. To me, I'm a cultural determinist. Um, I'm also a technological determinist. I think those are the two biggest levers that move the world forward. And so, you know, growing up Gen X, I never even saw any Asians in pop culture. If I did, it was, you know, not something you really wanted to see. Uh, so it's great to have that. And I think, you know, your kids are going to grow up. My nieces and nephews are growing up in a world that's already vastly different. You know, you have things like Netflix where people are watching shows with subtitles. A lot of foods and things from our culture have been assimilated into America. I think America's great challenge, right, is we're the most diverse nation on earth. We're struggling always to come up with a pluralist way that we can exist in harmony. Um, at times it seemed like that, like we've regressed on that in, in the past decade. But in other ways, I think... Um, the internet and other things like this are accelerating the ability for us to, to absorb that. So that's what gives me hope. John, to close real quick, you have three young kids as you think about the world that you hope they grow up in. What do you hope that they have that you didn't grow up with? I always say the greatest story that I have to tell now is the story of the world to my children and the rules of the world. I was taught a very specific way from my parents. How do I want to adjust that for my kids. Uh, and I'm so encouraged when I see other artists out there, when I see the conversation out there. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's annoying to have these conversations, to hear it over and over again. You know, it's also annoying to live in a life where you get it thrown at you all the time. But the only way out is through. And I want my kids to be tough to go through those conversations, to not, to not be afraid to feel sad, not be afraid to feel angry, not be afraid to get and do the work and have a conversation that they don't know the solution for after, that they don't have to push a button and have it come true. We're doing Wicked, and Wicked is a lot about the wizard and how he paved this uh, yellow brick road that you have to follow, and all your dreams will come true with him. But that's not actually solving anything. So I think we're in this big conversation, debate, and struggle together. And I want my kids to like keep going through it. 
and be okay with feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. and being okay with ex- re-examining their rules and the story that I told them too later. If we can do that, that's the only way we move forward. You guys all know that. You create companies and invest in companies that are changing the world all the time. So we know how malleable that is. I've seen it. I've seen the levers being pulled on a movie, as a step-up film where we're selling Flow Ride is Low <laughs> and no one has known that song, but we're going to make it cool on the radio and we're going to make it cool on MTV and it's going to become a song that culture loves. I've seen it happen and it's manufactured in a way. And then I've also seen Crazy Rich Asians, where something where we didn't know what was going to happen. And then the community embrace it and the world embrace it. And it creates stars and create a whole new thing. It wasn't perfect, but it created an avenue for more things. And that's four years ago. And look at what's happened since then. So I have a lot of hope. But I, the only thing I can do is just like the next step after the next yeah. one. Amen. Thank you both so much. And thank you all for having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.